Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Anthro Alert Podcast, where we take our live show from Minnesota Radio and publish it for you as a podcast for you to listen to at your convenience, whether you're sitting at home, driving in a car, or you somehow stumbled upon this and you don't know where you're at, you're going to listen to Anthro Alert, and it's about anthropology, and it's super cool, so I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Bulls, you're listening to WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and on the TuneIn app. This is Bulls Radio. Learn more at BullsRadio.org. So it's a 3 o'clock hour on a Friday after about two weeks, but this is Anthro Alert, the show about anthropology and why it matters. Maybe you could say this is a public anthropology project. <laughs> Uh, this is essentially, uh, we're just practicing digital media, trying to get the word out about anthropology, what anthropology is as a discipline, giving you examples of applied research here at the University of South Florida. My name is Renee. I am co-host. With uh, Tim Pinkard. Yes, our main man, Spencer. Here um, we go. Turn my mic up, then you can actually hear me. There you go. All right. All right, so, so yes, yeah, so I'm Renee. We, we have Spencer. And then a special <laughs> show today here in beautiful Tampa, Beautiful, sunny, cloudy Tampa, Florida, uh, <laughs> on the uh, observed Veterans Day, November 10th. Yes. We have Katie Shakur with us. So Katie is a third-year Ph.D. student in the archaeology tract here at the University of South Florida. K- uh, you might remember, um, for you four or five faithful listeners, you might remember Katie from a previous show where she talked a little bit about the research that she's doing in Ireland so we wanted to bring Katie back. So and she, she graciously agreed to yeah. come. And yeah, we <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Go through this, all, this process all again. We, we bribed her with promise of, um, <laughs> of, of free food and drink at Beef O'Brady's. <laughs> Which isn't open. So <laughs> Which is not open right now. Um, yeah, so, so, so today yeah. we're going to be talking about applying, or I'm sorry, applying. Today we're going to be talking about submitting work submitting manuscripts to journals mm. and presenting at conferences. Right. Katie, being an expert in such things, is going to coach us through the process, explain why it's important for uh, student anthropologists or professional anthropologists to do those mm. things and really just break down, break it down in a simple way that, that uh, anybody can understand. Right. So this is, these are topics that are very relevant to the two of us in this stage, uh, you know, Renee and I in this stage in our career. So we're just going to just going to start start the conversation by asking Katie first why you know why is it so important or why does it matter to present at conferences or to you know try to publish into um, articles and journals and I'll just talk from my experience mm. um, it's really important to just get the word out there get your research out there so other people know what you're doing yeah um, because that's how we gonna we are going to broaden our understanding of people by sharing what we're researching with other people. So it's really important to just disseminate that information, um, one, to your colleagues, and then two, um, to the broader audience in general. Mm-hmm. So get going to a conference is a really great way to interact with your colleagues, but also share your research or get ideas for research. See what other people are doing, and it might spark an interest in in yourself so you might get an idea for oh that'd be a really great addition to 
aspect to my project. A new methodology might come out, and you can integrate that. So it's all about sharing and learning. Those are that's what um, conferences and publications are all about: sharing and learning. Hmm. I recently just had my first experience. I, actually, my first academic conference. Um, so that was an interesting experience, and um, you know, I think it, I actually did get a lot of ideas on maybe some things that would apply to my research from. Uh, listening to pr some presentations from my colleagues and things so at other universities, which was an interesting experience, but also just to kind of see what the atmosphere was like at, a, at an academic conference, which I've heard is different depending on which conferences you attend and, and things of that nature. Yeah, so which conference were you at? We, or I was at, well, Renee was here also. We went to the Public Anthropology Conference at American University in Washington, D.C., so Shout out to our colleagues over there, and thank you for organizing that. It was a student-organized uh, and run conference, so you guys did a great job, and we appreciate you guys letting us come and talk to you about AnthroAlert and the work that we've been doing here. Yeah, I was inspired by that. I'm going to try and put on my own conference now. <laughs> We're going to do it. And it's really important to attend and, and present at the student-run conferences as mm. well as the conferences that are organized by the associations, the yeah. anthropological associations that are out there. But student conferences are so nice because they help give you confidence Oh yeah. to speak in front of your colleagues and peers because um, sometimes it's intimidating to talk to that well-known, uh, speak in front of that well-known author right. who's been right. you know, publishing for years and has five books <laughs> out and you've right. read them all. So. Yeah, that can be interesting because it's like, what what is my work going to contribute to like, <laughs> you know, this 20 or 30 years experience? But so that brings up the question, you know, how do you decide what's the right conference to go to or, you know, what perhaps what is the right journal to submit your work to? Yeah, so we can start with the conference in terms of deciding what is the right one for you to go to. It depends what your game what your goal is if it's just to meet some colleagues and share a bit of your research maybe sharing your master's research or sharing a research paper you wrote for a class a local conference or a regional conference is a really great way to do that mm. so one of i'm from the midwest and there's a midwest historical archaeology conference that happens every year and that's a really low-key conference mm. you get to meet people in a really casual way you have lunch together because every it's less than 60 people okay. so you're yeah, all hanging out small. all together and it's uh, there's not a lot of pressure to um there's not a lot of pressure you it's very casual compared to one of the national conferences where you have hundreds of anthropologists out there mm. talking and disseminating you almost no one can show up to your paper because they have so many other papers to go to and they mm. try so yeah. it's it's important to get some confidence by talking to a room about of 20 peers who all are interested in historical archaeology for mm. instance mm -hmm. to go to those smaller local conferences um, and that that might be a good first step if you haven't presented at a conference maybe that's a really good first step mm -hmm. um, the other thing to think about with conferences is there's always the option of the poster the poster. The poster. So explain a little bit about that. So at anthropology conferences, you can either present for 15 to 20 minutes, or you can submit a poster, and it's it's a scientific poster that's usually up in a poster session that lasts two hours. So you stand in front of your poster, which is like a four-by-six-foot giant one PowerPoint slide that you print, yep. and you just talk. People come up, look at your poster. You chat with them about it. You might... Um, hand them your card, hand them a copy of the poster you've printed out, and you make friends. Mm. 
They'll talk to you about your research and their research, and you're just sharing and learning the whole time. Mm, so posters are really low-key. Mm -hmm. The first conference I presented at, I presented a poster. So that's a good entry point for graduate students, I guess, right, to perhaps build your confidence? Yeah, graduate students and undergrads. There's oh, no yeah, reason an undergrad, undergrad yeah. can't present um, a poster, too. Mm. Yeah, shout out to Anthro Club. <laughs> hey. so, so you were talking, Katie. You're talking about um, you know presenting at local or regional conferences. Like, how do you, f how does one go about finding such a conference? Mm. A good way to start is asking professors, asking colleagues what kind of conferences they've been to, or even looking at a professor's CV where they list conference presentations. Oh, okay. Doing a little investigation. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, th I guess the the trouble that I had in going to conferences was, you know, you know, people like I would see colleagues go, but I'm always like, well, what do I present on? What do I like? What am I even gonna do if I submit? So, like, how do you have any advice made for graduate students on ways to, you know, if you haven't already done original research, how could you maybe do a poster on maybe a paper that you've written for a class or something? Yeah, you can always present on the cool thing about. Um, conferences is you can present something that you're planning to do, something mm. you've done at any stage of your research. Or you can present on a research paper where you're asking a question about anthropology and the field in general. There are theoretical conferences mm. where you really question um, and contribute to the theory, and that's something we do in our all of our classes. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to be out in the field to present. You can, and it's great to present um, a data-heavy research paper, but you can also present something that's planning to present or go towards the theory more and um, investigate that way. Hmm. So you think, so I guess, you know, my next question for you was, do you think as graduate students we should be really particular about maybe where we are presenting or where we're publishing or, you know, should you just try to hit any opportunity that you can uh, at this stage? So there are two approaches. There's the approach where you go big and you spend so much time publishing for a big journal. Or it's easier to, to present at a, at a national conference than it is to get your, um, get your article into current anthropology or something like that. Mm -hmm. So one, there are two approaches. And I think grad students need to figure out a balance what's right for them for each individually publish in a low-key journal that's still peer-reviewed but maybe it's not the hardest to get into mm -hmm. um, and then present at those those lower or those smaller conferences the regional ones and get some confidence mm. and then work your way up to presenting and publishing in the really big venues and and um, where your audience is is going to be critical of you. That's the thing that kind of scares grad students and students in general. Like you are going to be under scrutiny when you right. present and publish. Mm. So we got to get that confidence first. Mm. Have you, you know, have you experienced any sort of like negative conference experiences? I guess maybe colleagues being a little too critical, or maybe just. I haven't personally received any of that, um, but I've watched it happen, ah. and it's, it's. Um, it's hard to watch happen because you, you want to just support your colleagues, but mm -hmm. sometimes people maybe come to a conference not well-prepared or their ideas differ so greatly from another scholars that you can get some, some animosity and some, some words exchanged if there are differences of opinions. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, so without like naming any names, um, 
Yeah, what, what was your experience seeing that? Some, um, it's, when you're dealing with community archaeology and public archaeology, sometimes when you have human remains and you're researching human remains, that can be a hot-button issue where some mm. scholars um, disagree with the methods you took to research human remains. Um, so that's, that's the biggest one that I've seen. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that would, if I saw somebody just get really grilled like that, it would deter me from from trying to do my own presentation. But I guess you just have to, that's just part, part of it, right? I mean... It's part of academia. It's part yeah. of sharing ideas in general. Someone's always going to have a different idea from right. you, and that's okay. You're not going to please everyone. But um, So I guess our, our last sort of question before we take a quick break here was um, the choices that we make to, to uh, you know, whether whatever conference we choose to, to present at or journal we choose to publish in, you know, do the choices that we make potentially have consequences for our career in the future? Definitely. We are, as anthropologists, we're not, um, or as humans, we are political. Mm. We're inherently political with our choices. But really, it's in grad school, it's about presenting in general and publishing in general. That's what's going to help us get jobs. So if you stay in your little turtle shell and you don't go out there and publish or present, that's going to negatively impact your career. Mm. So it's better to get, get out there and meet colleagues and talk about ideas um, and that's going to help you get a job, but so you have to do it to get a job. Yeah. All right, yeah. Katie. So, so let's see if I understand this. So, so one of the reasons that it's important to present your work at conferences or to try to publish in journals is a to advance the field, uh, b engage in those conversations with other people who maybe aren't as familiar with your work but are familiar with the field and so they can offer constructive or critical feedback. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then and then C would be getting your name out there, uh, making yeah. connections with colleagues. Mm -hmm. Right, so for that next step of hopefully getting a job somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so I think we're going to pause the conversation right there. We're going to take a quick music, uh, music break and then we're going to uh, keep talking to Katie about publishing and conferences and public archaeology. Right, welcome welcome back Bulls. Uh, Anthro Alert fans and listeners, uh, people of all ages who are happening to tune in, all probably six of you now. We we might have increased our fan our listenership a little bit. I think we did. I think we we attracted some people in. Hopefully. Yeah. So hopefully they'll keep listening. <laughs> 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 yeah, hopefully. <laughs> All right, so today on Anthony we're talking about the conference, the academic conference, what it's like to go to, well, really what it's like to present at one. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the process of, of presenting at a conference yeah. and also the what it's like to submit and publish in a, an academic peer-reviewed journal. Mm, yep. And so our expert for that is Katie Shakur. Well. Yep have some experience. I don't know about <laughs> expert, but... You, you Today you're the, an expert. You're the <laughs> expert in Neither the one of us have experience yes. in that, so... Um, and so we just, we just finished talking about why those things are important, you know, to advance the field, to get your name out there, mm -hmm. to engage in that, that, uh, that discussion of what it is you're doing. Yep. 
um, because it's important to get feedback, you mm-hmm. know, whether it be constructive or critical. Right. Feedback's feedback. Yeah. All right. So, Katie, um, tell us a little bit about like your favorite conference experience you ha- have had. My favorite conference experience is actually from a very small conference. I've already mentioned it, the Midwest Historical Archaeology Conference. And I, the way that they organized this conference, um, it was in Niles, Michigan, which is in a s- small, it's a small town um, in southwest Michigan. And they organized it where they had community members come and give talks to, to engage with why archaeology has helped their community. Oh, that's interesting. And we also had... M- a lot of academic talks that were standard conference talks. So it was a combination of hearing from the mayor of this town and hearing from an archaeologist who had excavated a nearby site to hear how anthropology, archaeology, and a community can all engage. Huh. That's a really... I've never heard of a conference that's invited community members in to make presentations like that. It was pretty unique. Yeah, I mean, but to be fair, my only conference experience was like a week ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was different. It was really different than the other conferences that I've attended because they invited community members. Mm. So, is that what made it your like favorite experience, or was it a particular sort of? Um, yeah, that made it my favorite experience. It also was very. We all got to chat. We all had lunch together. You weren't since it, it was such a small conference. They brought lunch in um, for everyone, so you all, s- after you uh, all attended the same talk, you all sat down and had lunch together, and you engaged with speakers, and I- you took the conversation further. Because one of the unfortunate things about conferences is it often ends, a presentation ends, and you don't often get to ask questions of that individual unless you track them down. Mm. So then, is that poor planning on the conference presentation to not uh, leave enough time for questions, or is it just, you know, there's just no time for it? Yeah, it's it's because there's unfortunately no time for it. Conferences will let you have a discussant at the end, but there's not really time for a Q&A because um, everyone's running around going to their next presentation if it's mm-hmm. one of those big, like the AAAs or the SAAs, the Society for American Archaeology. Um, those big conferences just don't have time. They have so many presenters that to have a really low-key, informal conversation about the presentations that just happened doesn't happen. Yeah, so a lot of hustle and bustle. Yeah. Because right? you try to pack in as many presentations as you can. So yeah. It's just you just got to crank them out. You just got to keep going, right? Um, <coughs> so can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, writing up? I, I think this will be a good way to sort of transition in talking from conferences to journals. But, you know, you have to write an abstract for a journal, but... Uh, you know, you always have to do that for a conference. So can you talk about that process a little bit? Yeah, so with an abstract, um, they often give you word limits, but you have to think about the audience. Often a, a conference or the publication will give you some themes or guidelines that they want to discuss. could be something really vague like migration, or it could be very specific like um, community archaeology uh, methods and measurements. So, two different things. Um, right. But there's kind of a, a st- I think about different steps to an abstract when I'm going to write an abstract. One, I think about what, who's going to read this abstract, who's going to eventually read the paper or listen to the paper. And then I think about almost like a formula, like what research is going on right now that relates to these topics. 
And what is the problem or question that my research addresses and engages with the broader contemporary research? And then I provide some specifics about my research, and then I end it with what my paper hopes to do, why my paper is important. So there are a couple, you know, think about what's going on out there, what's the problem that you can help address with what's going on, and then what you hope to do, why your work is important. Those are the big components of an abstract. Right. And so once you get those components, what's what's the next step? So then it's often great to write it out and share it with a friend or a colleague. Mm. Have them mm -hmm. edit it. Um, peer feedback is one of the great ways to advance the field. And then you can submit your abstract mm. if you're going for a conference. Or um, often for publications, too, you can then submit your abstract to the editor and say, is this type of work something your journal would be interested in publishing mm. and they're really nice and they often say um, potentially let me give me more details or maybe it would work better in this other journal or yes send me your article I have an upcoming a, um, volume that I would love to include some work like this in hmm. have you ever I've, I've heard sort of different perspectives on writing an abstract where like you write the paper first and then your abstract's supposed to like reflect that so when you write, you're, you're kind of thinking through these questions and you write your abstract first and then you write your paper. Have you ever found that like your abstract turns out to be slightly different than what actually came out from the paper like through the process of writing? Definitely. And I would say that when I write the abstract first, it's usually because I have to submit it for a conference right. deadline. Yeah. But when I write the abstract afterward, it's because I'm publishing. Mm. So it's just a, a process for how I work through okay. um, conference presentations. I get the abstract done and later address the what I'm going to present. Right, right. Um, and then it does change. Mm. Okay. So th that's interesting. There's two there's two sort of techniques there. So I guess we can uh, transition a little bit into talking more about journal articles. Um, can you tell us just about the that that process in journal? I know we've kind of talked about abstracts and and contacting editors, but you know how do you decide which journals to contact, and you know how do you find out where your research might fit better? So one of the first things to do is just read read the journals. Read journals. If it's an article you read in class and you really liked the topic and it fits well with your research, you might read more of that, um, more articles like that. See where, what journal published that article. And if it fits in with your research, you can say, oh, this, this really works. Let me read more. Let me see what I would have to do to get published in this. Because it, it is different. You have to go through a lot of guidelines and they, they really are strict about what you can submit, um, maybe in terms of how you submit it. Um, I'm working on a journal article right now where they have a template that you submit your article, um, mm. that you use to submit your article. So reading the article and the journal, um, reading the journal that you want to submit to is a great first step. And also being realistic about... Um, about how much time you can commit to it, about, you know, if this is your first journal article, maybe go aiming for a more regional article or journal um, and slowly working your way up to, you know, a national one, um, the different ranked peer-reviewed ones. So start start with something that's going to be a confidence boost, that's going to help you, where they're going to help you through the editing process. Um, mm. So low-key journals and regional journals are really helpful for that. And so, uh, you know, you, s you said you're working on a journal article now, and I think you've, you've published a few in the, in the past, correct? I have published some articles. Okay. 
Um, we, we have a celebrity in the room. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> Anthropology celebrities aren't bad. <laughs> Interesting. So is that, um, did you kind of follow what, what you just stated? So starting with a regional journal and then kind of working your way up? I did. And I should say I published with colleagues. I okay. have co-authored. Um, I have been the first author, but I've also been just in the jumble of at all. <laughs> Um, and it works both ways because you still get to go through the whole process. Right. And you still get to put it on your CV. Yes. Which is do. also important. <laughs> very important. So I started with um, a, a very regional journal, and that's where I have my lead authorship. Um, but then where I'm part of the et al., it was an international peer-reviewed journal mm. um, that took years. It was a multi-year process to get that wow, really? finished. Like, just to go through the journal editing process, like, back and forth, it took that, well, that long? Well, we were writing it for about, it's five colleagues, so it's a lot to incorporate five different people into, into something. So, the writing process took about nine months, and then we submitted it, and then it took about a year a year before they accepted it with, they had, they accepted it with revisions, Okay. So they said, you ha we like it, but we need some things to be changed or elaborated or something. And then by the time we finished all the revisions, um, it was accepted and it was going to be printed the year after that because they already had such a lineup of articles in this journal. Wow. Wow. So I, I did not like I did not realize it was that long of a process. So I guess if you have five different people, so if you're um, if you're writing with colleagues, how does that work? So is it like you know, everybody was writing a section or was it, you know, everybody's sort of contributing? So, like, how do you mash up writing styles at that point? So, with that, we had um, everyone was contributing different sections, had their okay. main thing. But then you have someone kind of go through and be the first editor to make it all the same writing style or okay. same voice. And then you have the next person go through and edit it completely. So, it's a lot of different versions. And mm. we save, I think, by the end of it, it was version 20 before it was done. Wow. That and, and that process mm. took nine months? Yes. Wow. That is, that's quite a, a hefty process. D does it take that long if you're the single author? Um, Probably not, right? It depends on how much time you can devote to it. That's mm. the other thing. It takes a long time to devote. You're working. You're in class. You have family obligations. Mm -hmm. um, it takes a lot to devote time to writing an article. Yeah. And so... I anticipate the article I'm writing right now, maybe it's going to take me six months to get it in, mm. um, but maybe more like nine because we all have a lot on our plates as right. students. And so it just slowly like moves down the ladder of obligations. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of like an extracurricular that you have to make time for yeah. when it's easy to push off, push mm. it off. Yeah, be, yeah, because it certainly has to be a balance, right? I mean, especially especially if you're in the dissertation writing phase where mm. you need to get the dissertation done. Yeah. And and you also need to be publishing. Yeah, because right. you can't get an academic job without the dissertation and, and publications. publications so. Yeah. And that's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's possible. The thing to know right. is that it's possible to do. Yeah. So, Katie, this, this article you've been talking to us about where it was taken nine months, what was the word count on that, if you remember? I think, uh, I don't remember the exact word count, but it was maybe 8,000. Okay, so that's what roughly. How many pages is that? A thousand. <laughs> <laughs> a thousand pages. 
And like right now, I'm working on a journal article that they accept short articles, which would be like 4,500, and their max is about 9,000. Okay. So that's what a max of like 10, 10 pages or something, maybe? I think so. Like 8,000, 10,000 words. So, I mean, that's shorter than some anthropology articles <laughs> that, <laughs> that I've read in the past. Um, so is that just a decision from the journal of how, how long? Do all journals have word counts? Uh, I think most of them most do, of them and it comes from the publisher because it's it's some, it takes space to print long articles. That's you true. also want to make sure someone's going to read the article you're right. publishing. Yeah, the editor doesn't necessarily want to read that many um, thirty page yeah. articles. Yeah, <laughs> so it's um, I it's also helpful because academics like to talk a lot, so mm. it's helpful in cutting them off. Give me the short version. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, so I have like a related question. Okay. Wh- what about open access versus non-open access? Oh. That's a big debate, and right now I know there are some issues where um, authors have published their their previously published articles on an open in an open access format, and some of the publishers are getting mad. Mm. Um, so, one thing that's most important if you want peer review is top priority. Right. Um. So open access, you don't really have that same system of peer review. Mm. So that's where it's hard, and it's still kind of new, so it's hard to say, like... What kind of quality is this? Yeah. Um, and the same, it's when I, I'm also teaching a class right now, and I tell my students, go with the peer-reviewed articles. Go with the ones that have, that passed the crap test. Mm. Um, you know, d- is it credible reliable yeah you know and it's hard with open access i wasn't sure what test that was <laughs> <laughs> that's that's interesting so so you're saying that there's been authors that have been through the peer review process and got it published in their journal and then sort of retrospectively went and published it in open access areas on like academia.edu okay and then that's tech i mean i don't know actually what the copyright yeah, details that are. was that was my next question because I thought academic edu was just like I didn't know it was actual PDFs. Is it? It's at you can get lots of PDFs on there. Okay, but it'll be the word document of the article that was then published. Oh, uh, this is like like uh, academic piracy. Yeah, basically. but it's because it's, it's so expensive for a library to get access to pay for access to right. a, to an article or to a journal and. It's really easy for a professor to post an article that they published on Academia. Yeah. I've looked at some of the prices for it, and it's like some of them are crazy expensive. And so, like, as soon as I'm not a student anymore, I, you know, all I can read is abstracts. Yeah, it's right. So even if I want to stay up with the literature, you know, I can't afford to pay three hundred dollars for access to one journal. Yeah, or however much it is. Yeah, so it's like um, an intellectual gateway, right? So yeah, oh, no, no, like or like a gatekeeper. Some kind some of, sort yeah. of yeah. like barrier, right? Yeah, know, help, help me out, Spencer. That, well, I mean, it's a barrier. Oh. You're right. <laughs> it is. Those who have money can access information and an- access knowledge, which, you know, anthropologists are trying to move beyond that. Um, right. But copyright and publishing laws, and it's it's tricky. So mm-hmm. thank you, USF Library, for doing all that you do. Yeah, because we have access to a lot of journals. Yeah, that's fantastic. Libraries everywhere. We are in your debt yeah libraries are important libraries matter yeah they do <laughs> they absolutely matter. libraries are important i should say yeah well i mean they matter too 
They're important. Yeah. All right. So I guess when we're talking about, you know, these journals that are kind of, um, you know, there's a barrier to access, but there's different publications that you've talked about um, when you were here before talking about um, your work in Ireland where you're doing um, some public archaeology and your work, you actually, you were an editor in a book where you, um, you called it sort of like a, a coffee table type, um, type book. So can you kind of, uh, can you explain that project and, you know, how, how that process was a little different than maybe a journal article? Yeah, so I identify as a public archaeologist or a community-engaged archaeologist. Okay, so, so what's the difference between a public archaeologist and an archaeologist or an academic archaeologist? Like, help, help me understand what oh this yeah. is all about. Yeah. So it's, I have a goal, and an academic archaeologist can be a public archaeologist, or I have a goal of mm. engaging with the public and the community. And ar- archaeology it starts out as a project for the community. That's why we have certain laws and regulations and consulting to protect archaeological heritage. Um, but one of my goals as an academic archaeologist is to disseminate information with the community and have the community help me with my archaeology. It's a, a feedback loop of um, working with the community, answering questions they have about archaeology, and then at the same time um, sharing my information, that sharing the information I find with them. So it's this feedback of constant engagement with the community and archaeology and sharing information um, beyond the ivory tower gotcha okay so based off of you know those sort of thoughts and and ideals uh what was what was the project that you did that ultimately ended up in this in this um uh, book that you coffee had table book yeah yeah so it started out as an idea with some of my colleagues to make a pamphlet for the region we work where we work um to kind of a guided tour kind of thing. It started out mm. with a pamphlet that would be a guided tour with some text to inform visitors or travelers or hikers what they were seeing. And our ideas got kind of big, and it ended up where we made a very beautiful book with very beautiful pictures mm. that was really meant for um, the everyday person. Mm. So it wa- it takes you through different sites around this in this region and shares information intelligible to non-academics, which was really important, using language that every person could understand. And then one really cool thing it did is it had pictures that if you had a smartphone, the picture would then start playing a video. You took a picture of that um, picture from the book with your smartphone, and it would start playing a video. Wow, that's awesome. To take that story further. So like an augmented reality type thing. Yes. Wow, that's really cool. For archaeological sites in this region. Huh. So how was, what was the process of, of publishing that, that book different? How was that different than perhaps a journal? It was really different because it was self-initiated with the editors. Um, mm-hmm. We also consulted with the community. One of our co-authors is um, a community member. Oh, okay. Not, yeah. an, not an academic. Um he he does he has a degree in archaeology but he you know doesn't practice it in um in an academic setting mm. um so we co-authored this book and we really spent time we're consulting with a variety of community members about pictures on texts on content um you know what was important to them what should we include what shouldn't we include in this book that was about about their region 
So it took longer because we also designed everything in terms of graphics and learning um, Adobe InDesign and how mm. all the cool features mm -hmm. for that. So we were doing the content, which is what academics are used to doing. Mm -hmm. But then visually, there were so many more visuals to include. Um, and we had to think about what does this picture say about this site? What does this picture say about the people who live there and engage with the site? Rather than academics, we might just show a picture of a pot. And yeah, we're, we're interested in what that, that material culture says about those people, but especially for archaeology, most of the time the people aren't, we deal with past people, so they might not be present to talk about what that pot means to them. Mm -hmm. What Do you have something to say? Yeah, so, mm -hmm. so like the public part of it is like the collaboration and the, the audience is different. Yeah, so it was collaboration and making sure that it was available to local people in this region, mm. tourists in this region. It was available all over Ireland and in the U.S. actually um, through a publisher. And the money went back. All the proceeds went to benefit the local library, the school library. That's very cool. Um, so it was all about sharing information creating a beautiful piece that the community can use for tourism if they want or just have around um, and then giving back to the community to the kids because every library could use more money mm. everybody loves the children <laughs> <laughs> it's for the children until they meet one <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding i like kids. <laughs> uh was your um was the experience with the publisher any different than perhaps a you know, an academic journal publisher? It was because there was there were a lot of conversations about design with the publisher. Mm -hmm. um, and they there were lots of meetings about, well, it has to be this long. It has to be an even number of pages because that's how books are. We didn't want a blank page at the end. We wanted to fill every page. And it was like, oh, we never thought about that. Are all books even numbered? Um, no, but for the type of publication that they wanted to do, since it was so short. Oh, okay. And we didn't want a blank page of just white paper at the end. That makes sense. Okay. So it was a weird thing I never thought about. Sure. Um, huh. I never thought about that. So either. lots of design questions, color issues that you don't engage with in the in an academic journal. Um, academic journals aren't usually even published in color. So to have to think about, is this the right blue? Is that color coming out enough in that? Are those flowers bright enough in that picture? Hmm. Um, was something that huh. was new to us. Got to got to make it pop. Yeah, make it interesting. Did they have any questions about um, or comments on content of the book? They kind of let us do what we needed to do. They copy edited it for us, um, but the content was we really left those questions um, up to the community members. If they didn't like how we portrayed a particular site or said we forgot a really important aspect to it, we then worked with them to in incorporate that. So there wasn't necessarily any issues of trying to maintain sort of the peer-reviewed type quality of, of the content or, you know, what, what you guys were trying to get across? Yeah, that wasn't the goal. The goal of it was to disseminate general information mm, yeah. um, in a really uh, – it's honestly a beautiful book. I wish I had a copy so I could show you right now, but it's – I left it out. Uh, interesting. But it, it wasn't – the goal wasn't to – share new archaeological in innovations with um, other archaeologists or other anthropologists. Right. Instead, it was to really share that with the general public in a way that they can understand. Because academics tend to use words that are jargony, mm. that not yeah. everyone understands. <laughs> so we should make sure that our – we made sure that our book, and then in other um, instances I've made posters, to make sure that the 
community and the general public understands the goal of anthropology. That's cool. Yeah, and that stuff, I mean, it's just important because, I mean, one of the things that I always tell whoever's going to listen to me is, you know, what's the point of doing something if you're not going to promote it? Oh, that sounds kind of self-promotive. Well, but, but not I mean necessarily like promote it, but just share it with others, right? Yeah, b- because if you're doing applied anthropology, so, so I think anthropological work and, like, that whole diverse spectrum of stuff is important. But at the same time, like, how many times do you tell somebody, oh, I'm, I'm a graduate student in anthropology? <laughs> and then their response is like, what's anthropology? Yeah. Is that Indiana Jones? Right. And then you have to go <laughs> in and tell them, well, actually, it has to do with, like, such and such. And then they're like, oh, I didn't know anthropologists did that. So <laughs> it's important to get that information out. And s- yeah. And so projects like these are just incredibly important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's – um. I think I mentioned it last time I was on the show, but the Florida Public Archaeology Network, we have a branch here at USF. That is their top goal is sharing and uh, preserving archaeology for the general public. And they'll be on the show soon. Oh, good. They will, <laughs> yep. Uh, probably in the in the spring, right? Next semester? Well, we'll see. Well, yeah. <laughs> currently <laughs> in the midst of <laughs> scheduling for AnthroAlert. But, uh, you know, I think we should have we should have some sort of promotive type organization that does that with the rest of anthropology too not just with with archaeology as well which i think maybe other branches of archaeology or anthropology aren't as great about engaging in those types of projects i think it's also different a slightly different because um consulting and preservation of archaeology is mandated by law Mm. And then we just happen to have this extra public archaeology network in Florida, Mm. which is funded by the state. Okay. Um, And that's why it's all over the state. It has some um, governmental money to help do that. Yeah, so that definitely helps, right? Having (laughs) having funding definitely (laughs) helps. Money is important. Yeah. Unfortunately, money encourages and discourages a lot of things. Yeah. But, you know, for the fans of the show who are concerned that money has influenced us, please be aware that no money has made its way to Anthro Alert. <laughs> <laughs> so rest assured that, you know. But, but we are open to change that. <laughs> <laughs> so Sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. We've been talking for quite a while, you guys. We didn't yeah. even take another break. Um, I think it might actually be time to wind down the show for this week. Um, All right. Should we, should we maybe summarize our key I points? Think we, I think we should, Katie, if you could summarize our key points and then maybe um, uh, talking or, you know, what what do you want our listeners to go home with? Yeah. So, like, why is presenting publishing important? Um, and then just, yeah, we'll start with that. Okay. So presenting and publishing is important to, one, um, engage with the topics out there, especially at a conference. Talking, going to conferences and hearing, but also sharing your ideas, getting your name out there is really important if you want a job. Yeah, let's be honest about that. And then um, learning from other people is really important. So that's what conferences and reading published articles, increasing their their numbers is really important to encourage Mm. uh, publications and conferences. So it's it's sharing, it's learning, it's getting your name out there. Um, and that's not just to academics, but like I mentioned, a conference that included um, a city's mayor to come talk. That was a great opportunity to see how anthropology can engage with the broader community. Awesome. And that's where, I, that's where a lot of that value comes from, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. 
Um, all right, so let's uh, let's go ahead and call it. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Do you want to you want to bring us out, Renee? You brought yeah. us in, so you want to close us out? Yes, sir. So, w- um, so as you know, we have here on Bulls Radio our live Anthro Alert radio show, but we also have our podcast. Right? You can mm-hmm. find that on anthroalert.com. <laughs> you can find us on YouTube. Uh, it, we're on Twitter, Facebook. You know, we have a Tumblr site, which is like anthroalert.com, really. Um, but there, you know, just be aware that if you find anything that we've ever said on this show remotely interesting, you might also like other type of anthropological uh, media production. So there's a podcast out there that I recently learned about that I recently found, and it's called A Story of Us, and that's put on by graduate students at the Ohio <laughs> sorry, at the uh, at at Ohio State University. Um, and it's actually really good. So it's called A Story of Us. So if you listen to podcasts, check it out. It's good. Katie, you actually have a suggestion for us as well for a podcast? Oh, yeah. There's an, a podcast that I follow on Facebook and listen to. It's called Women in Archaeology. And they just talk about issues dealing with all types of um, all types of issues in, in the field and hot topics in the field. And it's relevant to archaeologists and anthropologists in general, talking about publishing, talking about family life, talking about um safety in the field things mm. we don't often talk about but it's a uh, it's a good one yeah All important so topics so don't let our anthro alert be your only source of anthropological anthropology anthropology um yeah so that's our show for the week you know next week we have a return guest also dr Chris- christian wells yes um so be sure to tune in friday at three on tunein.com uh, or the TuneIn app again this is bulls radio wusf 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and always streaming worldwide, like I said, at the TuneIn on TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. Just check us out, anthroalert.com, bullsradio.org. Peace. We'll see you.